Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders is back to work a little over a week after recovering from kidney transplant surgery. His wife Stacy donated one of hers. Police Chief Saunders, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, feeling good. I, the important thing was to rest a lot, which is what I did, and I, I had a good uh, support team. My command officers uh, are very good at what they did, and they, they definitely proved that. So having a good team allowed me the opportunity to sleep well at night, and uh, here I am, back in the game. What did you learn from the experience? Um, yeah, I learned that uh, Toronto, by far, has a tremendously strong medical research uh, entity. I didn't realize how uh, how well we are as a city of Toronto, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a good day in Toronto when it comes to you needing medical help. The Toronto Police going through a huge process of transformation and modernization. What do you think is the greatest challenge facing the Toronto Police Force uh, moving forward into the year 2018? Um, I, I think the greatest challenge really will be the, the communication piece, ensuring that uh, from top right to bottom, everyone has an understanding of, of where we're going, why we're going there, what it's going to take to get there, and also to remove a lot of the myths that are out there with uh, respect to the modernization piece. It's definitely been a tough year to be top cop. Uh, the force has been accused of systemic racism, and last week the police board announced that they're creating an anti-racism board. It's a response to recommendations following the coroner's inquest into the fatal shooting of Andrew Luku, and immediately... Mark, we had pushback regarding a police chair, Andy Pringle, co-chairing the anti-racism board. You know, people were saying that Mr. Pringle, as co-chair, this circumvents an open and transparent process and will result in an imbalance of power. So not really off to a great start. Well, I'm not sure how you want me to answer that. That's that's between uh, the chair and, and, and those who, who critique. Um, listen, the, the public uh, is allowed to have a voice, and I think that's what makes a democratic country uh, the best environment to live in. Um, at the same token, um, you know, I, I can say amazing things about my chair because he has done an amazing job, and uh, he listens uh, more so than, than most others, I think, and, and has an understanding and compassion. Um, but uh, if there are issues that need to be ironed out with this new committee, then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's their will to do that. Ultimately, it's going to be a 12-member board. It'll consist of experts, reps uh, from the Toronto Police Service, and members of the racialized communities. Another criticism is since there are no resources that have been allotted for this anti-racism board, the expectation of people volunteering to be on the board will make it harder for community members to participate. Wondering what you think about that statement. Well, I, I mean, a classic example, I had the PACER Advisory Committee uh, for close to five years, and uh, those folks came in, and I'm very grateful for the work that they put in on their time to help make uh, the city a, a better city. And um, their end product, I think, was, was second to none. They're the most uh, educated, most up-to-date and knowledgeable people when it came to that issue on uh, on interacting with the public, and um, and they put out a fantastic product, and uh, there I don't see a cost associated with that. So um, if if it takes money to make things happen, um, I, I don't think that that is necessarily the most accurate narrative. The Toronto Police Service was given 15 recommendations by the jury from the coroner's inquest into the Luku shooting. One of them was that tasers should be expanded to all frontline workers. Chief Saunders, where do you sit on that idea? 
Well, if anyone that has followed my narrative knows that I've agreed with that for a long time. Uh, inquest after inquest has had the discussion on the tasers as well. Um, we have zero harm, no death. That's what our uh, our goal is. And so by implementing more less lethal options, uh, we will be able to achieve those outcomes more successfully. If we're asking our men and women uh, to uh, have a, a training policy in, in which we tell everybody our training is to use as least force, uh, as less force as possible in every encounter you come across, then I think that there's a responsibility that they're provided those tools to meet those objectives. And so I'm a very big supporter of the Taser expansion piece. I think that it will save lives, and also it will help the officers have the right and necessary tools for the environment they're in when they're dealing with active attackers or when they're dealing with potential or imminent threats. When you have a potential threat, you can de-escalate, and there's no problem with that. And we've proven that time after time with our existing uh, calls for service, specifically with our people in crisis, where we deal with over 25,000 call, calls a year, and our use of force is 0.4, is a testimony to us not just walking the walk or talking the talk, but walking the walk as well, too. So are we going to see tasers in the hands of uh, frontline workers in 2018 and all frontline workers? Or, you know, is there enough budget for this? Well, yeah, we've, we've got budget put aside, but the decision is not mine. The decision rests with the board. And, and there is a meeting coming up in uh, the early uh, first quarter of the year on, on the very discussion. So I, I look forward to a healthy uh, discussion on it. And, uh, and we'll see which way things vote out, too. You've been very busy since you got back to work. You've ordered an internal review of how police handles missing person reports after some residents in the church in Wellesley area claimed incidents of missing gay men weren't being taken seriously by police. This year, we also saw pride organizers side with Black Lives Matter and their call to ban police from uh, having a float in the pride parade. Mark Saunders, is the relationship between the LGBT community and the police a little bit strained right now in Toronto? Well, you know, it just, uh, uh, I'll, I'll be upfront. I, I think that uh, it's a little skewed when you put a, a, a 2,000-word statement in front of a question because now I've lost track of what the actual question was. Um, it, when it comes to the relationship with us in the LGBTQ community, we have invested in working with that community for decades, and, and so we have a strong relationship with the community. Um, however, I'll be the first to admit that there are certain segments of that community that is not as strong, and, and we need to enhance that relationship. And, and we've been working very actively with uh, increasing and strengthening that relationship. I've got some officers that are uh, very good at what they do in, in working with the community, and uh, we will continue to do that. And, and one of the, uh, the important things is the ability of sitting down and listening to what those issues are, whether real or perceived, and then figuring out how we can move forward. So uh, I'm looking forward in 2018 to strengthen those uh, relationships that, that are um, not as strong as, um, as the other parts of the LGBTQ community. I know that community policing is a priority with the transformation process, and it really took a hit this year with the Toronto District School Board voting 18-3 to scrap the school resource officers, 36 officers, 75 schools. Despite the majority of students saying it was a positive experience, the school board decided to scrap it. I know that Ryerson is going to release a report in the new year about the program and how it was doing. Uh, Where do you sit on the fate of the program moving forward? 
Um, well, it, it's first off, I'm, I'm not going to create light between myself and the Toronto District School Board. They have uh, done their research, and based on their research, they have made their decision. I, I, I support their decision. Um, do I have an opinion of the school resource uh, officer program? I, I, I know through testimonials and, and through the research that has been done that it, it's a very valuable tool. And, and so um, a lot of officers have strengthened uh, as individuals and as police officers, and a lot of students have also uh, come out of it with some amazingly positive and, and very uplifting outcomes as a result. Um, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. And I think that this is an opportunity to start those conversations on the go forward. And so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the school board says that it has voted to end the school resource officer program, but it plans to continue to work with you, the Toronto Police, on shared issues. Can you give us an idea of moving forward that relationship and working relationship would look like between the Toronto Police and the, the Toronto District School Board? No, I, I can't right now, and I don't want to try to speculate. I, I know that uh, I will be uh, speaking with the uh, school board uh, sometime, I believe, next week, and uh, then I'll have more of an idea of, of direction. And uh, I've made it clear from the start, our door is always open, so um, it certainly is not going to be a, a hostile environment. It will always be a friendly environment, a cooperative environment with the opportunities of working together. I want to just move on to the topic of gun control in the city. It's always top of mind in a city as big as Toronto. No doubt, you know, as chief of police, you worry about the number of guns on the street. Is there any, uh, what do you propose to lower the number of guns out there right now? Well, there, there are a couple of things, and, and, and first and foremost, that there, there has to be a multi-agency approach, not just from an enforcement capacity. If the public thinks that their guns out there, police go get them, then that's the wrong approach. We, we can't arrest our way out of this particular process or this particular problem. There has to be resources put into the various communities where kids are using firearms to make decisions. And so if they're given more opportunity, if they're given more hope and, and more decision-making tools to make the right decision, I think that the gunplay will be substantially reduced in the city of Toronto. When it comes to the enforcement piece, um, we are pretty strategic and surgical with our enforcement officers and what they do when it comes to curbing that situation. And I look forward to 2018 because I think that uh, we will change the playbook a little bit in how we will respond to, uh, to gun calls. Does community policing have a big role in this? Community policing has a big role in everything that we do. Community policing enhances relationships. If we have relationships, then we're talking about people that are invested in their communities and working with the police for successful outcomes. Earlier this year, the Toronto Police Association encouraged its members to wear union ball caps to protest what its president, Mike McCormick, says uh, you know are empty promises from the police leadership to fix low staffing levels. How do you plan to address low morale in the Toronto Police Force in 2018? Um, well, with more facts and less rhetoric. Uh, I mean, I, I think that uh, there was a level of frustration, and, and, and part of that is communication piece. Uh, I, I think in the go-forward the next year, one of the things that I, I will be aggressively looking at are the calls for service. And, and, and once again, calls that we're going to that we shouldn't be going to. Um, if you look at our numbers, I think it's something like uh, close to 900,000 calls that are non-emergency calls that my police officers are going to. So why am I having highly trained officers in uniform with guns, sticks, belts, all of those things, highly trained, being report takers? I think that there are other resources that can utilize those types of calls so that my officers can be free and available to go to what they're trained to do, to go to what they're trained to, um, to respond to and, and having the best tools and skills necessary to have successful outcomes. Who would better serve the calls? 
Well, it depends on, on, on what the role's responsibilities are. You know, a classic example is when I talk about crime scene uh, um, um, protection. Uh, why do I need a highly trained officer to sit outside a locked door for 24 hours a day for four or five days for a forensic examination? When it comes to our 25,000 calls for services deal with people that are in crisis and the nine to 10,000 people that we're apprehending, why do I need highly trained police officers sitting in groups of two for three to four hours in a hospital? There are other resources that we can utilize to help offset that. Can when you give us an example? Of that, just oh, we can we can have other trained people that can do that very thing. And for the existing types of calls, like theft of gas, theft of uh, liquor, uh, when we talk about our theft under five thousand and our mischief under five thousand to autos and and our fraud under five thousand, eighty um, percent of those calls are done by officers showing up at doors, and twenty percent are done online. Mm. I think with public education and public awareness, we can switch that around and make it. 80% that are done online and 20% that are done in, in, in person. And that would reduce hundreds of thousands of hours. And then on top of that, I've incorporated a new unit, which is a community investigative uh, services unit. And what they do is they go to the non-emergency calls. And in one division alone, in less than six months, they've been able to eliminate close to 4,000 police hours. So there are opportunities that are out there. And so if you talk about the all model and the numbers, then, yeah, you've fallen into the narrative that they're pitching out there. But if you look at what we're doing to advance and move with this new uh, model, then you can see that there is op- there are opportunities for us to be successful in what we're doing and provide a better service and be more effective and efficient in community safety. So part of the modernization plan is an online reporting of non-emergent uh, crimes. Well, yeah, it's utilizing technology in a more effective and efficient way. Um, you know, to, to have a police officer show up to say a person uh, five foot three uh, stole a bottle of vodka and ran westbound on whatever street um, is, is is a resource that I'm not interested in utilizing. Is and, the, and the is the resource in place right now? The technology? Um, yes, it is. Okay, so we can start using that more. It's more of an education campaign that has to happen it, right it, now. It is. It is. It is a combination of two things. Number one. It's an education piece, but on top of that, it is also changing the public appetite. The public appetite right now is when in doubt, call the police, and we're showing up. That has to stop. And so once we get 311 into play as well, too, they're going to absorb a a very large number of calls as well. But there are other calls that, that we have to keep and inherit. But we will roll out differently and not diminish on the investigative uh, conclusions to the investigations, but we'll provide it from a different angle, which I think is a much more effective and efficient way of doing business in today's environment. And this would fix low staffing levels? Well, it it would fix the staffing levels, yes. I understand you're looking into drug testing for officers in the wake of uh, Constable's fentanyl overdose earlier this year. Can you elaborate on that? Well, it, it's it's a discussion that that I think needs to be had in, in light of uh, the new uh, the new legalization of marijuana. Um, I I need to figure out uh, what is the best uh, direction that, that we as an organization should take. And so I I asked uh, all of the major city chiefs from right across North America. Do you have a policy or procedure in place when it comes to drug testing of your personnel? And I got quite a large number of responses back, including Canada. So we're not at the leading edge when it comes to this, but there are other agencies that are doing the very thing right now for the exact same reasons. So I don't want to put other officers in harm's way, and I don't want to put the public in harm's way. So I need to get all of the research done first. 
before I can start having that discussion on, on what it would look like. I'm not going to take a product from another uh, jurisdiction. I'm going to make it Toronto-centric, what I think best fits the city of Toronto, and that's the one that I will incorporate. So there needs to be more research, more discussion before I can move that forward, but it is a discussion that I do want to have. Could it be random drug testing? Well, I'm not going to speculate. I'm going to wait for the research to come back to me, and when it does come back to me, um, what it will be, I think, will be the best product for the city of Toronto. Timeline on that? Um, no, I'm not going to. Okay. I'm not going to start committing on things. The uh, Public Health Agency of Canada released uh, something very disturbing earlier this week. They feel we may be on track for 4,000 opioid-related deaths this year. It's been called a national health crisis. Should we equip frontline workers with naloxone? It's 4,000 Canada. So if we're yeah. talking about uh, Toronto. Uh, we had 68 fentanyl deaths this year, which is still uh, much, much higher than last year, which was only seven. So do I see it coming into our city? It is here in our city, and it has been for a while, and there are issues. Um, I, I think an informed uh, response is what's necessary. And, and, and although the, the government has uh, made a, uh, a request that they'll provide the naloxone, I have to look at a couple of uh, practical factors. Number one, um, when we talk about harm reduction, um, I'm looking at when our officers are going to be there and, and are going to respond. Uh, the SIU, I'm interested in what their stance is going to be or whether or not they're going to change it, because right now our officers will be investigated criminally for for their actions if uh, the person succumbs. Uh, everyone else has good Samaritan uh, laws that will protect them, yet my officers are not protected. So, number one, I don't want to put my officers in, in any jeopardy. Uh, number two, uh, when it comes to our response, I think our response when it comes to overdoses is either uh, 3% or 6% of the time we're the first ones there. The other 97% of the time, it's either our very robust paramedical teams that we have out there, and we have one of the most robust in, in North America, or number two, the firefighters. And, and so we are always the, the last ones there by and large. And so there's that factor. And number three, when it comes to the harm reduction piece, I want to make sure that it actually works when we arrive. We know that naloxone, if it goes, uh, if it's colder than 15 degrees or warmer than 25 degrees, it degrades the, the uh, degrades the integrity of it, and the chances of it being uh, useful then become an issue. And if that's the case, then you know us being there, it's all for naught. So I want to make sure that there are other factors. How is it going to be stored? Mm-hmm. How are we going to be guaranteed that when we administer the product, it's going to be working? The paramedics have the equipment to make sure that it is, but we don't have that. And then, of course, the, the last other piece is, what's the cost going to be to this? Because it's over $100 a, a, a pop, and I've got 5,000 officers, and this thing definitely, at its best point, has to be changed every two years. Plus, I'll have to have a surplus of that. And is the government willing to continue to pay that? Or if this is a one-shot deal and then they walk away from the table? So... All of those questions have to be answered before I make that decision, which is why I'm having a team do research on that. We're going to present to our board in February, but I want to make sure that it's the right decision and it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. All right. Well, there's a lot of research going on, clearly. And as chief of police, what are you most optimistic about in 2018? Um, I'm optimistic about a couple of things. Uh, First and foremost, uh, the connected officer. Uh, the fact that the strategic management team has done the research and we're able to expand that to 700 officers now. So we'll have the ability of having uh, officers less tethered to the vehicles if, if, if there's the opportunity, which will you know, definitely align with what the modernization objective is, which is to be more community-centric. Uh, next year is going to be uh, a much stronger 
uh, move forward towards uh, the final goal of body-worn cameras. And so hopefully by 2019, we'll be able to, to look at that opportunity. And I think that, you know, with 85% of uh, the, the police officers that did the pilot project that said that it was a good thing, and 95% of the public that wanted the body-worn cameras to enhance transparency and accountability, I'm looking forward to that uh, direction. Um, even though I'm not saying that that's the end all to everything, there are other things that need to enhance the uh, accountability of, of our actions, but definitely a very good tool. Um, I'm looking forward to having more discussions uh, with the community and also with other agencies on what we can do to reduce the calls that we should not be going to. And I think that's uh, at the forefront. And, of course, the last one is the taste of discussion that you brought up. I, I want to have a healthy uh, discussion with my board on, on why I feel that, uh, that tasers are, are necessary in today's environment for my frontline officers that are going through active attackers or imminent threat types of situations, which are going through quite a few on a yearly basis. Well, Chief Saunders, I want to thank you so much for your time. I wish you the best of the holiday season and a very healthy 2018. Thank you so much, Kelly. It was very good talking to you. Look forward to the future.